going on, everybody? Welcome, 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 welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today Sports Media Group. I am your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. Now, today, guys, I have another interesting guest on. He's a repeat guest. He's my guy over at the Painted Lines, my guy, Austin Krell. What's going on, Austin? I had to be here because the, the Plumley brothers weren't paying me. So, I mean, I had, I had, I had to come here. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> I mean, they, they should be able to pay you. The Plumley brothers all of a sudden have so much money. Thanks, Troy Weaver. That was like a, the – I listened to, to Low Post, and Zach Lowe was like, this made no sense. This yeah, made it made absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense at all to go after Mason Plumley. Now, if Detroit was contending – then sure, bring in a guy like Plumley. You're rebuilding. What are you bringing Plumley in for? Like, what why are you? And why are you paying him twenty five million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Like, you can't rescind that offer once you accept it. Like, you're legally and financially committed to him for twenty five million dollars. Unbelievable. You know what, man? I, I really I can't get into it because if I do, and oh, Sharif Phillips Keaton, if you're gonna be listening in, he's my best friend. He listens into like every podcast. If you're listening, this is why Mason Plumley is an awful, awful contract. He's a terrible player. He should not be in Detroit. It's a bad deal just all around. And I don't know who to blame. Should I blame Troy Weaver? Should I blame Mason Plumley? I wonder if like the logic behind it was down the road, if there's a team that really needs a backup big and they have like a trade exception, we could, yeah. like, we could like sneak that in and be like, Hey, would give us your first rounder and we'll take it. And you can have Plumley. I can, you know what? That's that, that would make some sense. That, that would, that would definitely make some sense. I could rock with that. I can yeah. rock with that. All right. Now listen, we're, we're not talking about the Plumley brothers no more or else my blood's going to boil. We're going to hop into some Philadelphia 76ers uh, news topics, discussions and everything else in between. Now uh, today is Wednesday, November 25th. The Sixers introduced Seth Curry, Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley to the media today uh, through zoom and uh, Austin, man, Seth Curry says, sounds like he can, he's going to be a good baller on this team. He's going to be a really, really good addition. Yeah, I was very impressed by his confidence. He spoke of himself, and I think, well, obviously he's going to be confident himself, but he kind of just, like, spoke like somebody who was very focused on being, like, being true to his game and not really worrying about, like, the spotlight his brother has. I think he's, I think part of why he's been able to be successful in this league is that he's able to be, like, worry about his own game, worry about, you know, his self, and not worry about the attention that his brother gets. And I mean, he's had, he had a really good year last year. I suspect a year this year, but uh, by all accounts, he's, he, he has all the traits of, of an unconscious shooter. I mean, if you think about it, he shot 45.2% from deep with Dallas. He, he's a career 44.3% shooter from deep. Yep. And playing next to a guy like Ben Simmons, who leads the league in three point assists, I mean, you, you have to think that with all, with, with all that in consideration, that he's literally probably going to be shooting around 45, 46% from deep this year if he continues to just, you know, go up that way. So it, it, it's just like, it, it really is such a great addition. It's, a, it's like really like a, like a hand in a glove. It just it kind of fits perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that because, sort of because they were so barren in terms of shooting last season. Right. Um, and I, and – like the percentage is that they were a decent team, but the volume was very low. So, I mean, they were good, but on the small volume. Um, I think now with, like, a, like a bona fide shooter and, like, a sniper at, at that, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, like, shooting upwards of six, seven a game. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, honestly, I can, I can see him shooting around there, like, in terms of the volume. And 
You know what? You kind of brought up an interesting um, question before before we hopped on. Is Seth Curry the team's fourth best player? Well, he might be their second or third most important player because I agree with his that. ability his ability to drag defenders away from Embiid and Simmons to, to because of his shooting prowess is going to make their lives so much easier. And he even touched on that. Um, I mean, logic would say it's probably going to be Joel, Ben, Tobias, and then I guess like a, a, a sizable gap, maybe. Um, I think if, if Seth is averaging up like 15, 16 points per game this year, he can certainly be their fourth best player, maybe even their third best player, depending on what happens with Tobias. Now, see, he, here's what I think that they should do with him, because I, I am going to agree and kind of like right now he probably is their fourth best player just because he really brings everything that they have been missing for the past you know year so if you if you roll out a starting five of ben seth um you got tobias at the four joel at the five at that point i think you have to go matisse at the three right because you got to get some type of defense in there so one thing that i i kind of heard that was sort of like whispers down the lane um was that Doc is actually very, very, very high on Shake Milton. Like, more so, like, like he communicated his affinity for Shake when he had his presser. But, right. I mean, he, like, behind closed doors, he's been a very big advocate for Shake. Um, so much so that, like, he, he didn't really want them to include Shake in, in trades that they might, be, they, might, they might have been making. So, I mean, that says a lot. Um, I don't know that it's going to happen for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me if the starting lineup looks like Joel, Ben, Tobias – shake and seth or shake and danny now, see i could see that too because as you mentioned doc did express his love for for shake and his presser and then as you just mentioned and, and i've heard i've seen rumblings like all over the place that he's kind of just been really high on shake milton so shake could be moved into the starting lineup but i don't know i feel like shake isn't going to be that knockdown shooter that they're going to need for the spacing to be able to you know be what they expect it to be that is where Seth comes in. And then if you really want some type of defense, I mean, I know Danny Green isn't the uh, the same defender he once was. You could start Danny instead of Seth and then go with a guy like Shake. I don't think you could start Seth and Shake, though. I, just don't yeah. think you can, I don't think either guy is going to be the same type of defender that they're going to need out on the other end, out on the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. I think, I think there, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Danny Green took a pretty big step back with like his ability to move laterally. Yes. And I think in the NBA and tra- when that translates to, um, you know, like how can you switch on the bigger guys? How can you beat guys to spots? That's a pretty, it's a pretty significant development if Danny Green is, you know, approaching father time in that sense. Um, right. But I mean, Shake has a seven foot wingspan, which, and he, you know, he's a six, five height. So, I mean, it's plus wingspan. Um, if he really bulks up, and I guess that's the assumption we would have to operate under if the smoke is real, that the doc is that high on him. Maybe he can be a plus or even a neutral defender in this starting lineup. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know that it's a definite. I mean, you know, there are reasons why it wouldn't make sense. Um, right. Maybe then he becomes your sixth man. And I don't even know that it matters like whether you're starting or coming off the bench as long as you know what your role is when you're on the floor. I really think, though, okay, then in that sense – then having him on the floor with Joel and having him on the floor with Ben, those two guys are one of the top premier defenders in this league that they could probably make up for a lot of his mistakes. Like if he were to make any uh, out on the perimeter, because I think Seth, you can really only have Seth defend like the, the smaller, quicker point guard type of guys. You can't really have him switch over to a, you know, a bigger 
wing or, or a two guard. You kind of have to kind of keep him on a point. So I just, I feel like when you have Seth in there, you have to have a guy like Matisse to make up for a lot of defensive mistakes. But on the flip side, as you just mentioned, Shake does have a seven foot wingspan and he's six five and he's got good, you know, he's strong. He's got good size. So I feel like there's a lot of different ways Doc can do it. But if you were to start Shake, would you have Seth at the three or would you have Seth as a quote unquote point guard and have him defend the point guard spot and on the offensive end have Ben handle the ball? Yeah, it's a fascinating question. I mean, I took back to today. He said, you know, he said that he has years of experience of playing point guard and then his, his first example was going back to when he was a point guard in college. Right, was, but back at Duke. Which was not, so. it's not a very strong example. Um, I mean, I think he, from what I've seen, he can handle the ball a little bit. Maybe not, not in the sense that he's pounding seven or eight dribbles and then making a play, but in the sense like, okay, two to three dribbles and then there's a shot there. There's some space created. There's a shot there. I would probably say if you have him on the court as a starter, and he even said it himself, like he can't guard, you know, he has to guard point guards or smaller, smaller shooting guards. Um, maybe you're in pick and rolls, like you're throwing hedges. So that way like you're stunting the attack, but then you're getting back to the back to the big and then he yeah. has enough time to recover over. Um, but I mean, that's again, that, that that's, that's kind of Doc's job to figure out. Glad right. we don't have to do it. Um, I, I think Doc said like in his, in his opening presser, I'm not going to assign positions. I, I go positionless. And I think that's a big thing that we, I think we had this, this inherent nature of like trying to assign positions rather than just tossing five names up on a board and saying like, these are the, this is this is the best lineup that executes our strategy and what we're trying to do. And see, that's an interesting point because I feel like we, you know us growing up, all we know are these positions. Yep. You know, like like we're taught like here's the one, two, three, four, five, and this guy's gonna play this spot. You're gonna play this spot. Like I feel like that's kind of what we're all kind of used to growing up. But the game has just kind of evolved into this quote unquote positionless basketball, to where you can kind of, as you said, throw five guys out there and just let them go. I feel like Seth is going to kind of be. The, the, the bigger addition. I know everybody's going to be looking at Danny Green, but, and, you know, and rightfully so, he's won, the, he's won the last two championships with Toronto last year and L.A. this year. He's got a title with the Spurs in 2014. He's got three titles on his resume, and he's going to be a very important piece of this team. But Curry is going to be the one who I feel like is going to make the, I guess, biggest impact because of a lot of things that he can do, um, putting the ball on the floor, uh, pulling up for a jump shot, like, Wow, what a concept. You can have somebody set a screen and then the guard will pull up for a jumper. That's incredible, right? So imagine that. There's a lot of different things that Seth can bring to the floor. Now, another guy they introduced today was Dwight Howard. And I can't lie, Austin, Dwight Howard kind of sounded like that wise old veteran. Uh, He gave a lot of long-winded answers, but they were good answers. They were good answers like a lot of these questions. Um, I feel like Dwight can be an underrated addition, especially for especially for $2.6 million, he's going to be a very underrated piece of this team. Yeah. And I think a couple of things that I, I, I was, I think Dwight Howard's by far the most impressive, impressive person that, that we've, that we've heard from this off season. Um, you know, he, he seems like he's sort of this born again guy who really has learned from his past. And he even said it, like he's made some mistakes um, and, I, you know, we saw a side of him that was very humble. He was referring to everybody as sir. Um, you know, he was, you know, apologizing for his phone going, like things that like typically guys don't do. Like typically right. it's like, you know, like we're gracing you with our time. Like damn, right. my phone is going off. Um, he was like very, 
very humble. It was sort of a different Dwight than I think a lot of people have grown to, to think exists. And I, you know, obviously the jury's out. I, you know, in in this country, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. So, I mean, I I guess I believe him now. I mean, I mean, he he said like doc was the first person that offered him. So maybe, you know, he jumps at that offer says all the right things. And then it ends up being that like, maybe isn't the best fit from a locker room standpoint. Right. Um, But I mean, there was no problems in LA that we know of the, the, the the second go around. And then, you know, I think it's, I think it's really telling that it was only 2.6 million they took. He knew he wasn't going to be getting starting minutes. So it wasn't like he was looking towards his next deal. I mean, he genuinely must've thought that this team has a really good chance of winning. And I mean, credit to him. He knows more than we do. He's, he's the one playing on the team. We're the ones covering the team. So. Right. Right. Uh, honestly, just, it really kind of just blew me away because as you mentioned, Austin, when, when you think of Dwight Howard, you think of the lovable, boisterous, jokester, just really, you know, like I'm going to have a bunch of fun and I'm going to try to win some basketball games. And that, that's kind of it. That's kind of what we knew him as with the Orlando Magic during his time with the Rockets. And then he bounced around. He went to Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington. Um, I forgot about the whole Charlotte existence. That completely like, like, <laughs> like, like I, I, I had to go back to Wikipedia when, I, when, I, when, I, when they first signed him. And I was like, wait a minute. He played in Charlotte? When did this happen? And then I remembered it was like, Oh, that was the like the forgotten year, twenty seventeen, eighteen, and then he got yeah. traded. Got traded to like Brooklyn, ended up in Washington, and it was like it was like a wow, what a Pandora's box of Dwight Howard history. Yeah, yeah, Dwight has had a very, very interesting history. And when you go back, I mean, there was one quote that he had today that just really kind of blew me away, and I think it was when he said, "For me, in the past, what really dug, and this is, isn't the exact words." But for me in the past, the things that really drug, that dragged me down were my egos and oh my injury. Yeah. So really think about what happened with the Magic. He got into it with Stan Van Gundy. There was like a couple of different things that happened between him and Stan, that um, things that went down that really, you know, really killed that Magic team. But if you think about it, Dwight really did some, some incredible things on the court. But off the court, he let his ego get in the way. He suffered a couple of injuries. And not just with Orlando, but even that first go-around with the Lakers and then with Houston. Now he's here in Philadelphia. He's got a $2.6 million deal. He took the vet minimum. And he's pretty much going to be here. And he's going to make sure the Sixers don't fall off a freaking cliff every time Joel goes to the bench. Because if you think about it, when you look down at the past, every Embiid-less lineup has been absolutely terrible on the defensive end. Even last year with Al, um, they, they were not good when Joel was off the floor defensively. So uh, I feel like bringing in a guy like Dwight's going to make a huge difference because not only can Dwight still produce offensively, but he can still block a couple shots a game. He averaged 1.1 off the Lakers bench in like 15 minutes. Yeah, and you, and you made a good point about like way back when in Orlando. I mean, keep in mind, he enters the league when he's like 18. Right, he was a high schooler. For, yeah. So he plays there for like seven, eight years. That puts him at 25, 26. It's basically, you're in my age. Right. Um, and so, like, like, I think, like, even now, there are times when I have to, like, check myself and humble myself. Like, you know. Yeah, me too. Like, <laughs> Believe like, me. Like, 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 you know, like, I have a really good podcast and people are, like, you know, like, saying, like, good job, you know. And I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm the man. I'm the, I'm, I'm the shit. No, well, no, I'm no, like, no doubt. No, yeah, no, exactly. So like, put yourself in Dwight Howard's shoes where you're literally the face of a franchise. I mean, I can understand where you'd make mistakes. Um, but I think, you know, what you're set to your second point, they've sort of bungled the center, the backup center position so much and so much to the point so where 
they had to like they thought like oh the solution is going to be giving out Horford 109 million dollars um <laughs> right. which is like mason plumley which is like mason plumley money um <laughs> Um, we're gonna but compare everything to Mason Plumley money. What would Mason Plumley do? That's gonna, gonna get one of those bracelets. Um, <laughs> but like, really, all they've ever needed in a backup center, like from 2017 to when they started being good to now, yeah, just like a human pogo stick. The only thing you needed was someone like a Rashawn Holmes, right. someone like a JaVale McGee, like a Dwight Howard. It's all you and those guys, those guys cost, as we've seen, two to four million dollars, right? Um, so, I mean, it was just a bungling of understanding what that position really needed. And this yeah. is the guy that I feel like this guy makes sense. Yeah, I feel like they kind of just really messed up. Like, they had Rashawn Holmes and, you know, all credit to Amir Johnson because I, I think Amir Johnson had an overall solid NBA career. But, like, like, like towards the end of his career in Philadelphia, he just – he wasn't helpful. It was, it was like – it was like – again, the team fell off a cliff every time Joel went to, went to the bench – and then if you, uh, put a, if you put a phone book in front of in front of uh, Amir's feet, he's stripping over the phone book. You're not getting over the phone book. Hold on, man. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> he was a high flyer when he first came into the league. And then he had an ankle injury in Detroit, right? Uh, I think I think the ankle injury. I thought the ankle injury came in Toronto, didn't it? Wasn't it wasn't Toronto? My memory only goes back to Toronto. For all I know, he did a start in the NBA in Toronto. But like, wasn't he like a second round pick? Uh, out of like out of high school yeah he, he, had a, he was the very last high school player to ever be selected before the nba uh, switched over their rules he had to go to college for a year so yeah no amir johnson was the very last high school player to be picked and then he played for detroit uh he went to milwaukee toronto boston uh and then philly what a career what a <laughs> career that is wow now listen um, when he played for the Pistons, I guess Rasheed Wallace told him he had to bulk up. So, oh yeah, I remember that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah do you remember the story? As yeah. he said he dropped off like a twelve pack of beer to his house and said, "Drink it." <laughs> like, I wish Rasheed Wallace like would come to my house. That'd be pretty cool. Like, well, just drop off some beer, dude. I'll take it. <laughs> like, why not? <laughs> yeah, I just imagine Mir. Mir should look like a game. You just like shotgunning beers in the locker room. What are, like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm getting my 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 pregame like bulk on. What do you What do you mean? <laughs> like, listen, flip flip Saunders just walks in. What the hell? What are you doing? <laughs> he looks at him. She did you do this? Uh, <laughs> Rest in peace, of Flip Saunders, man. In For all sure. seriousness. Um, but yeah, so from Amir Johnson, and then last year they had the Horford and the Kyle O'Quinn experiments. And, you know, much respect to Al Horford. I really do believe Horford is going to have a little bit of a better season with the Thunder this year now that they traded away Steven Adams and Horford can kind of get back to playing center. I feel like you'll have a better year in Oklahoma City. But it was an all year from the bottom. Uh, yeah, uh, who knows what the Thunder are going to do with him. To have, you know, the Thunder are going to be going into a full-fledged rebuild. By the but, way... That Stephen Adams trade made no sense. Like, it made absolutely like, zero sense. Like you're putting him in 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 New Orleans with a, a prized second year guy, who also needs a ton of space. Yep. And might be best playing small ball center. Yep. Absolutely. What are we, What are we doing here? <laughs> I, I I really didn't understand that move either. I was like, you're gonna put Stephen Adams next to Zion? Why? <laughs> like I didn't I didn't understand it. But hey, I mean, listen. Go ahead, Pelicans. Do do what you do. 
So Dwight's going to come in here, man. And I feel like Dwight is just, he A, understands now that he's not going to be the guy. He's going to help Joel. He's going to help Ben. And Dwight was there uh, with the 2009 NBA Finals. The Magic were right there in the finals, and they lost in five games to uh, Kobe's Lakers. And Dwight, so Dwight really knows what it's like to be so close and to come up short. And, you know, he mentioned Joel and his, excuse me, his reaction to losing to the Toronto Raptors in, you know, game seven last year. He knows what it feels like. Dwight's going to come in here. He's going to be a really good addition. If you can get seven and seven out of Dwight off your bench, then I feel like, you know, you're getting all your money's worth. I feel like there's a chance that he could average more than that. Because like, if you're like near the end of the shot clock, there's going to be some plays where the desperation move and that that's the best desperation instinct is to like have Dwight come out of like, like come out of the baseline bunker spot and like just catch a lob at the rim. Like you're going to try to try to lob it to him. Yeah. 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 Now now maybe he's not athletic like that anymore, but I think he can average like seven, seven, eight and seven, nine and ten and seven. I think he can replicate that production that he had in LA. I can see it. I mean, listen, he averaged seven and seven in LA with 1.1 blocks off their bench. Like, like that's a really good backup center. Yeah. (laughs) Like like he would gladly take that. Uh, and then another move, Austin, the Philadelphia 76ers, they've given up on, on the Zaire Smith experiment. They traded Smith to Detroit for backup uh, big man Tony Bradley. Uh, Detroit didn't want Smith either. They actually waved and stretched him uh, after the trade uh, came through and everything. So Zaire, man, I mean, I feel like Zaire can still have a place in this league. I think Zaire Smith can still find a role as a backup guard to provide some energy or something. And to be honest with you, I thought Detroit would be a good opportunity for a rebuilding team (laughs) that they need some young players and just throw Zaire out there and let him go wild. So it was actually a little shocking to me to see that they waived him right after the trade. It was a weird trade overall. So Zaire, where do you see him? So – they were so the Pistons were at, so I'm writing my league pass rankings right now. Oh and, god. And the oh, Pistons god. were gonna be much higher, but then they cut Zaire. Right. And and they were gonna hold so much of my intrigue because of Zaire. And I, it just made no sense to me. I could None. see him I could see him like fitting in San Antonio, a team that can really like like develop him, maybe even like a Toronto team. And like let's be honest, let's be honest, like he's only what, twenty one years old? Twenty one. Yeah. So, I mean, to give up on a guy like that is, like, it's pretty ridiculous out of context, in, in context. Um, I think there's still a, I think there's still a chance he can become a serviceable NBA player. Um, I just think he, he, you can't just, like, let him get, like, bed sores on the bench. Yeah. I feel like if – wherever he goes, he either – you either have to play him at the NBA level or send him down to the G League and still let him get the development, which is what Philadelphia did with him this year. They knew that he wasn't going to play over guys like Matisse and Josh. And they were like, listen, we're going to send you down to Delaware and we're going to let you run wild. We're going to let you play. And he got off to like a really slow start. Like Zaire's, you know, G Leagues did this year. He got to a slow start, but he was able to kind of pick it up. Like you saw the uh, study development game in and game out. There were a couple of defensive reads he were able to make. Uh, I covered one Blue Coats game this year, and it actually happened right before the pandemic. Uh, so, listen, I came back from LA, and then I went to Delaware, and then the game against Detroit, and then the season went on. <laughs> Just a straight suspension. So upsetting. But Zaire Smith, I, there were a couple things in that game that I saw where I was like, okay, he's continuing to make some type of strides. And it just, it was really weird to see. It wasn't weird for me to see Philly trade him just because Philly's kind of in a different 
mode. Timeline was out of whack. Yeah, for sure. Right. But Detroit to just wave him definitely that threw me. Yeah, that that little that definitely threw me off. I was like, eh, he's a young guard. You guys need guards. Play him. It was weird. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the cap situation looks like there, but I wonder if they can like re-sign him for a lesser price, considering he has like basically no value. Um, yeah, and I'm sure there are some rules that would that would make that a lot less advantageous than I than imagining it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for sure some team should absolutely take a shot on him. I mean, he was going to be like a top ten pick if he had stayed another year at Texas Tech. Yeah, and um, you know, he just, you just he's so raw. You need to have that to give him a, t- a chance to develop and not just brush him aside. And I mean, if, if it never does pan out for him, the, the, the story of his life is going to be the, the, the damn seed, the allergic reaction. Um, that, you know, like, like that's like, that's a ridiculous, not, not like a, not like ridiculous in that it's like a, it's like a farce, but like ridiculous in that, like how, like, what are the odds that that happens? Right. And it's unfortunate for him, but you live and you move on. Right. I feel, I feel like it's like, it's such a shame for him because as you mentioned, he really, he had a really pretty solid trajectory and then he had the Jones fracture and then the allergic reaction. And then the team drafted Matisse. And then it was kind of like, well, damn, like, where does that leave me? And then he goes to the Pistons, Pistons wave him. If Detroit doesn't re-sign him, it, like what destination will be good for him? I mean, maybe New York? Maybe yeah, I was, I was texting with an agent who's actually pretty close to Zaire. And first he was like, the family expected it. But now they're just sort of like like they, they they didn't expect him to get waved by Detroit. That was a wild. That was kind of like a, a gut punch for them. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, I don't think New York because I think they have a lot of guard depth already there. Okay. I think it's, I think a team like San Antonio, like I said, or a Toronto. Um, yeah, yeah. But like honestly, like Detroit was the perfect fit. I don't know why they waved him. <laughs> Troy Weaver, what are you doing, my guy? What are you doing over there? This is, turning into like the sick, this is turning into the Pistons slander podcast. <laughs> oh, it really is. It really is because they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. Um, we, I had Zaire on here on the podcast. I think it was back in May. And he did explain that he was playing power forward in college. Yeah. And yeah. Because I guess Texas Tech like suffered like a lot of injuries or something. They had to move Zaire over to the four, and they pretty much just kind of went from there. And so he pretty much was trying to learn shooting guard at the NBA level and he was doing it on the fly. So I, I don't know. I think Zaire really does, does deserve like a fair shake. As you mentioned, Austin, he really didn't get much of a, like a, like a fair shake or a real opportunity uh, with the Sixers because of just a bunch of nonsense that like, like a lot of, um, I guess not nonsense, but ridiculousness is what we're going to call it. Cause, cause like, like the absolute craziness of that allergic reaction, like nobody really expects that to happen. It's a shame. Now, in terms of Philadelphia in this deal, they got back a young man in Tony Bradley, uh, who he had like a really – he's young. He's also young. I think he's 20 – how old is Tony Bradley? 22? 22. Yeah, about that. Yeah, so if you put Tony Bradley here, Dwight's only here for the, on the one-year deal. Uh, let's say Dwight leaves after this year. Do you, and Tony Bradley continues to show some type of development, some type of progression. He learns from Joel and Dwight all of a sudden maybe Tony Bradley's your backup center for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I think a key sticking point for him is going to have to be foot speed um, as, as, as a big man. If he's like a, if he's like a, if he's like brick footed, like Jalil was, or like Ennis Cantor is, um, yeah. if, 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 if he get 
if you can't, you know, like track guys to the rim and 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 deter shots that way, um, there's no there's there's not going to be a spot for him. I mean, this team more than anything just needs a quick footed big that can move and burst and 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 protect the rim. That's going to be his calling card. If he's going to stick here, that has to be what it is. Um, forget the offense. The offense is going to come naturally, especially for a guy who's in his early twenties where you where you're 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 ingrained in such an offensive culture of basketball. Forget about the offensive part. That's going to come naturally. Right. Um, work on getting your feet as quick as possible and, you know, slimming yourself down as much as possible if you're not already. And so that way you're the most agile version of yourself. That's your best chance if you're Tony Bradley. Yeah. And then on top of that, he's really going to have to really just kind of soak up everything that Joel and Dwight could teach him. And not just that, but – uh, you know, any lessons from Doc or Jaeger or Cassell, like anybody, like like on that staff that can pull you aside and maybe teach you a thing or two. I feel like that's going to kind of be his best opportunity because I think for him defensively, he's going to be okay. You know, he learned a lot from Rudy Gobert. He learned a lot from um, Quinn Snyder and everybody else over there for the Jazz. And now he's going to be able to learn from Dwight and Joel. But, I mean, for me, I think it's got to be offensively. I think he has really has to show, like, different things that he can offer off the bench, whether he's, like, a stretch five or, as he said, he can push the ball, um, out, like, off rebounds. There's got to be, like, something that he's got to be able to show uh, Doc Rivers that he can be around here for a really long time. So, Austin, though, we are at the, we are at the end of the podcast. So, uh, who's had the worst offseason so far? <laughs> I think I already know your answer. Oh man, <laughs> I will think. I'll say this. I think it's closer than 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 what you might think. I'd say. I think Toronto has gotten depreciably worse. Like you lose, like you lose um, uh, Ibaka. You lose Gasol, who was a huge anchor to their defense. Um, and I mean, like uh, Baines is a pretty good player, but I mean, Ibaka was just a significant loss for them. Um, obviously the, the okay. Pistons are going to be up there. I, I, I think the Hornets, like on paper, they're a better team, but I think the decisions they made were so poor because first you're committing 40, you're committing 30 million a year for four years to Gordon Hayward, who is back on the rise in a sense, but it's the likelihood of that being a good contract in two years is just not very high. And they pay him that much money. He's another one. Like how do you pay Gordon Hayward that much money? But not, but not pay Kemba Walker four million more per year. Like exactly, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Hey, um, Michael Jordan, what are you doing down there, bro? Yeah, um, I think I think the Celtics have had a pretty underwhelming offseason. I mean, first you you lose Gordon Hayward for nothing when you could have had Miles Turner and something, right. something else. Right. Um, well, I mean, they also brought in Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. That was that was good. that was. I think people are pretty like lukewarm on that on on the Tristan Thompson deal, although I like the Jeff Teague addition a lot. But like their 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 draft wasn't their strongest either. Like they they bring in Aaron Neesmith, who is a pretty good like shooter, but maybe not in 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 Celtics world good shooter. And then they they, they take um you know Peyton Pritchard. So I mean, a lot of teams have had odd off seasons. I'll tell you who's had a couple like really great off seasons. Um. I think the Clippers, in a sense, have been underrated because you upgrade in Ibaka. Ibaka's better than better than um, Harrell. Harrell, yeah. Um, the Lakers have gotten better. I think the Bucks are better. I think the Blazers have had a really good offseason. 
Well, he's just had a really good offseason. Yeah. I, I also think Philadelphia's had a really good offseason. Yeah. And I think – yeah, no, for sure. Oklahoma City, although they've, they've – in the short term, they're, they're terrible. Um, they've, they've amassed, what, 25 – literally 25 first-round picks. Exactly. So, Oklahoma City is going to be very good, too. Yeah. My, my, my thing with Toronto is, though – Sure, you lost Gasol, but Aaron Baines is another guy who, like, continues to give Joel trouble. I think we can look in the context of, like, that's Brett Brown's defense, which is, like, a very annoying defense. Um, yeah. And, like, it, things might look different under Doc. Okay. But, but, I mean, the Raptors are really going to miss Gasol's passing. His, I mean, his defense, at, even at his age, was still very good. The problem with him is that he wasn't always confident in the shot, which was which is a big issue for them. Right, um, and then for, for but then for Toronto, the other team, you still have Kyle Lowry, so you got Pascal Siakam, who you have to think Siakam is going to bounce back from that really tough series against Boston. Like you have to think Siakam is going to. I don't play know. Better. Really, I don't know that I trust his ceiling. I don't know that I like. I think he's the type of guy that can be a perennial All Star, but he can be a perennial All Star, and his team can't be better than like a like like a second round exit with him as the best player um, okay then give me your top five teams in the east as we as we end this off so that's where i'm struggling right now at first i had philly at three but then it like i thought about it in a different context of is adding seth curry getting rid of al horford and adding denny green and adding a rookie and adding dwight howard really going to be enough to move you up three spots and my answer to that is probably not so right now, I'm going to say Milwaukee, Boston, Miami. No, actually, so, so, so Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Brooklyn, Philly is my top five, I think. Okay, I think nice. Philly can move up. I think Brooklyn can move up, but I think they're going to rest around a ton. Now, see, for me, I've got Brooklyn at the top. Interesting. Because I, I think if Kevin Durant is coming back healthy – you're not stopping Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It's not happening. So I'm going to roll with Brooklyn at one. I like Milwaukee two. I like Boston three. I have Philly four. And I've got Miami five. Okay. So you think Miami takes a step back. I think – so the, the loss of Crowder really, really hurt them because he was big for them. And I think – Yeah, he was a really there. good – he was a really big piece of that team. And also, I, I will say this about Miami. Sure, they made the finals and – I'm trying so hard not to call it a fluke, but I mean, call it, it a fluke. Call well, it a fluke. <laughs> well, like it was the bubble. And I ah, here we go. Jimmy Butler was terrific. You have to give Jimmy Butler a ton of credit. Bam out of bio earned every cent of that contract. Sure. Uh, so, but when you really look at the rest of the heat, like Goran Dragic is another year older and he's coming off a big injury in the finals. Uh, you don't know if Tyler Hero will maybe hit like a sophomore slump. Uh, you don't know if Duncan Robinson is still going to shoot as white hot as he has been. Yeah, um, and but, but they will remain a really good team though because those guys I just mentioned are good players, and Eric Spolstra is going to get the most out of all of them. And the Avery Bradley addition, that's another one though. Like Avery Bradley's not the same player he once was, so it's kind of like, like okay, and great. Well, like what what. Was he at well, – he was never that great of a player. Adrian I liked Bradley. him in Boston. Like, when he was in Boston, I, I yeah, really liked him as a fine. player. He's fine. I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see how much different teams defend the Heat because now you have a whole season of scouting of Tyler Hero and a whole right. season of scouting of Duncan Robinson. Right. I wonder if, like, 
teams are going to defend them at different angles on screens and, 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 and make that a, like make their lives a little bit more difficult and having to expense more energy getting around and getting open. Right. Um, in which case, like, in which case, then Jimmy Butler is in trouble too because so much of his production was was was, was contingent upon their ability to space things out for him. Yeah, so, exactly. So I mean, I guess there are a lot of variables that could easily go the other way than, than what they went last year. But I mean, I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt because they've earned that respect, and I'm going to say, oh, you're absolutely right. And I and I think like you said, like the best teams maybe I could have should have re rephrased it. I think like the teams that I give you are my order of seeds in the East. In terms okay. of in terms of best teams, yeah, I think like Brooklyn if Kevin Durant's hundred percent or even ninety nine percent, Milwaukee because they're Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Miami. But I mean, I think there's gonna be a lot of resting, a lot of load management. Um, because I mean, we as we've seen this past season, like especially the 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 gearing up for the postseason like the regular season is just a preseason it's all about right. what you do and it's all about how can you prepare for the postseason like they 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 over overuse Ben Simmons in the regular season he got hurt you know uh, Giannis played a ton of minutes and then had a couple of ankle injuries in the playoffs so I mean it it's all about how you preserve yourself for the for the final for the playoffs now right like it's just it's going to be like a, a really interesting race just. I'm really going to be interested in kind of seeing what happens in the playoffs, but I don't see anybody being Brooklyn that like if Kevin Durant is healthy and ready to go. And, and then you got Joe Harris and Karis LeVert flanking those two, Jared Allen blocking shots in the middle. I really, I really, really like the Nets if Katie and Kyrie come back healthy. So with that being said, I want to wish everybody a happy and healthy Thanksgiving during this tough time. I know everybody's not going to be able to, you know, be, be around their family and friends as much as we had in the past. But if we could just kind of get through this year, hopefully we can get back to a normal Thanksgiving next year. So, Austin, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your very busy day to come on with me, my brother. Thank you for having me, my, my friend Kai. It's always a pleasure. Go, uh, go Pistons. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I hope they win 10 games. I don't want to win more than 10 games. <laughs> and I want Mason Plumlee to score no points all season long. I hope he doesn't even play a single game. I hope they send him to the G League for some reason. So. You have like Travis, you have like Travis Schlenk in his front. I was like, I don't know what happened. He was a good player when we got him. Yeah, right. I don't know what happened, right? <laughs> exactly right. And with that, we're out. We'll see you guys next time on the Bell Ringer. 